Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast, where we explore stories from around the world. We hear from educators, parents, students, entrepreneurs and scientists about innovations that help make learning easier and more successful. I'm your host, Peter Barnes. Leonie Swift is a self-described word nerd. She's a former librarian with a passion for plain English. Leonie now teaches people how to write in plain English so their readers get the message easily and understand clearly what's been written. She says plain English is not just useful for writing documents, articles, reports and so on. It's applicable everywhere, even for writing on street signs. I recently chatted with Leonie on the Learning Capacity podcast, where she explained why plain English is not just dumbing down writing, but is so important if you want to get your message understood. And she gives some examples of how it can also be fun. Hello, Leonie. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Peter. So what's plain English? Well, plain English is uh, a style of writing which is very direct and clear and concise. Um, so you can there are lots of different definitions, but... One that I like is this one. Uh, Plain English is clear, accurate, uncluttered writing, which is easy to understand the first time you read it. So in plain English, the wording, structure and design are so clear that readers can easily find what they need, understand what they find and use that information. And I think that pretty much sums it up. So there's a tonne of writing out there in all, all sort of walks of life and forms that is not plain because because there's a lot of times I, I I know I just don't quite get what they're talking about the writer's talking about that's right I think um, it, traditionally uh, especially with government agencies and businesses people have felt the need to write in a fairly official style uh, because it gives or well, they believe it gives a certain credibility and a, a certain authority <laughs> but yes. certainly I think. Um, the trend is changing. So uh, those things are now starting to look a little bit outdated and many big companies are, are understanding that that plain English and direct speech is so much more beneficial to their readers. Yeah, That's a bit uh, like, you know, the, the professional talk. So if, if I'm in a profession, let's say I'm an engineer or I'm an accountant or I'm a, a medical person or, or I'm a librarian for that matter um, – Talking to, writing to people in my profession, um, there's a whole language, words, all sorts of things that normal people who are outside of that group wouldn't understand. So are you suggesting that in plain English, people in that uh, situation should be trying to avoid too much of their, their professional jargon, their industry jargon? Not necessarily, and one of the key tenets of plain English writing, and good writing no matter what, is to understand who your audience is. So that's the first thing. Now, when you when you think about who, who you're writing to, that might be a group of academic PhD students or it might be a group of doctors, in which case you can assume a certain knowledge of terminology and jargon that might be acceptable and technical speech that might be acceptable to that audience. However, if your audience is the general public, then you would change the way you write to eliminate as many acronyms and, you know, jargon words as you can, because those people will be 
struggling to understand what they mean. And of course, when we use acronyms, many people, many acronyms are the same and they can mean different things. So I fell into that trap recently when I was speaking with a friend and I mentioned RTO because I have a strong interest in the training world. And for me, RTO means a registered training organisation, but for her, it meant a regional tourism office. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, uh, I mean, even if you're writing, uh, if you're in an organisation or a business and you're writing to a colleague, uh, so you're not writing to the general public, mm. uh, is, there's no reason, is there, is, is there, why you shouldn't try and write plain English because... Uh, the message you're trying to convey to your colleague uh, will be, I imagine, uh, understood much better if it's plain English, even if there's a bit of jargon in there that you both understand. Absolutely true. I mean, I think uh, all of us benefit. Look, everybody's so busy. So we all are reading. We're quite often reading on the hop, especially in workplaces and especially when you think of emails, that, of course, it, it makes sense to be as direct and clear as you possibly can because people can misunderstand and, and depending on the context, that could be a really dangerous thing. For example, a workplace health and safety email. If someone misunderstands or, or you use ambiguous language or in a, in a work instruction or something, uh, people could get hurt. So I think that no matter what a person's literacy level or, or ability to read or even their knowledge of the, the field of work, uh, it just makes good sense to be as direct and clear as possible. It's, to me, it's a considerate style of writing because it saves people time, it gives them the information they need quickly and easily. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to explore plain English and what it means and how you teach it and the benefits and all of that stuff. But before we do that, can you just tell us briefly how you got interested in this, in this plain English world? Well, it's it's quite fascinating. I think it was a very gradual thing for me. Of course, it's it, it's something that I've never consciously thought about, but I found that I have a knack for doing it. And, and I, I I start to get a lot of feedback from people saying, oh, you know, when you explain things, we understand. Or, or you know, when, when I submitted assignments at university, the lecturers were always saying, oh, really clear, really concise. You've summed everything up in, in you know, without using extra words. And I, I never took a lot of notice of that. But lately, I've been thinking, wow, I think that might be a strength I have. Um, and then, of course, uh, I, I did attend a plain English training workshop a few years ago now um, in, in as part of my work, professional development. And I absolutely loved it. And as soon as I went to that workshop, I thought, oh, I really love this. And I want I would love to teach this myself. Mm. So how do you teach it? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it really, it really is one of those things that people need to to practice. To, to I think face to face is a really great way to teach it because uh, in in a room you'll get a you'll get a broad cross section of people with different backgrounds and they look. It's not related to your expertise or your your knowledge of a topic, uh, but the ability to write clearly about that topic is something that not everyone has. And so, I think that the best way to do it is to 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 be in a room and to give people some activities and to to just sort of just watch them and give them give them a few things to try, see where the see where the snags are, and then just elaborate from there. And I think it takes a bit of practice. It takes a little while for people to understand 
to remember how to break those bad habits because we all have them. I have them too. And I think really a lot of it is learning to to look back over your work once you've finished it or before you submit that to someone or give it to someone else. Look over it and go, what can I what can I do here to make this clearer? How can how will this read for someone else who doesn't know? you know, the topic, whatever it might be. And, and can I can I make it shorter and clearer by using bullet points, for example? So that I think it's a matter of just slowing down a little bit and thinking very deliberately about the message that we're sending. So I'm thinking that if, if I went to a, one of your plain English classes and spent a few hours and you taught me some things about it, then mm. I'll learn something. But is it that I would then have to keep... Um, practicing it and then having someone like you or some other source of information uh, looking at my work, my writing, each Mm. time I wrote each day and go, oh, hey, that doesn't make sense or you should do this or what about this? Is is, Is that part of the process necessarily? I think it does take some time and I think it is only through practice. Uh, there's lots of there's probably lots of online tools that you can use as well. Mm. Uh, there are um, there are there are helpful things like uh, the Grammarly program or you know certain certain writing uh, tutor online tutor tutoring programs that you you can also use. I I, I think in a big organisation I think it's a really good idea to have a few key people trained up or people who have that natural ability. Have those people as go to people in your section or your area of work. I'm thinking local government because that's where I've, I've spent many years. And I think really in, in each team, it would be great to have someone there as that go-to person for proofing because one of the other things about writing well is that we, we really shouldn't be proofing our own work because you can never really see your own mistakes. So it's it's always good to have someone else to look over it and go, oh, what did you mean by that? And that doesn't matter how good you are at writing. We all should have someone else to prove our work. So true. My wife, she's a speech pathologist and uh, she writes reports on when they, she assesses a child's language and um, uh, difficulties and so forth. And uh, they're quite long. Sometimes they can be eight, ten pages. And I get to get the job of proofing those things. And the interesting thing is that she and her colleagues were, were actually until I got in the act, were actually writing to each other. They weren't really writing to the parent who didn't know uh, half the jargon and all the rest of it. And uh, so uh, really interesting uh, experience for me uh, to see how a profession um, can really get so inward looking and, 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 and how hard it is for them to look at their own work and go, oh, I can make this more easily understood. So, Absolutely. Yep, you're right. And and that's that thing about it's really good to get somebody to proof who does not know your area of expertise because they will they will hit the snags and go, what does this mean? What does that mean? And then it really makes you stop and think that, yeah. oh, wow, I've made some assumptions here. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's yeah. part of understanding who your audience is again and writing to your reader, not writing to your, you know, to the person inside your own head and making assumptions. Yeah. yeah. So this, I guess this question is about, it's like a how long's a piece of string, but how long would it take for someone who's really quite a clumsy written communicator to become better, become clearer? That's a really hard question, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just depends on how much practice you're willing to do uh, and how how seriously you take it. Because um, it, it 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 what do they say about breaking habits? It does take quite a while to break. You have to. 
do yeah. it something new, what, 28 times or something like that. Some, something um, like that, yes. yes. So, of course, yes. it's going to take a while. And, look, not everyone's going to be natural at this and, it, and it, it's going to be harder for some folk than others. But I think that the more you think about it and, and make yourself more conscious of some of those concepts that, that we talk about in, in the plain, plain language or plain English workshops, you will start to subconsciously notice when you see other examples of writing that are overly wordy or overly bureaucratic um, and, and it just soaks in over time I think. Mm. Yeah and I guess it, it depends also too on the motivation of the, the person wanting to become better. Uh, mm. if, if, if you had the mindset I imagine that um, it, it's impolite to dish up written communication that's not clear to whoever you're writing to Mm. Uh, then you'd probably be more motivated to master plain English yes. uh, than someone who didn't care about the person they were writing to. That's right. Um, I remember being quite shocked when I went to that plain language class that I did many years ago that some of the people in the room who were from council uh, were quite resistant to it and they were. They, there was some sort of... I don't know if I'd say aggression, but there was definite resistance to this this clearer style of writing, and I think it was because they felt so comfortable with it, and they felt that it it just established council as an authority, and those bureaucratic phrases were just part of that that council mindset. So it, it can take a long time to unlearn those habits. Yeah, and, and is is there an attitude that um, plain English means you've got to dumb down? How, what you're writing, how you're writing, you know, use little little early primary school words and things like that? There sure is, and I think that's a sad misconception, actually, because, look, since the 1980s, the legal world in Australia has been very, very you know, positive about about getting things into plain language. Now, that's that. It's a very technical field, and and, and to for for legal writers to be drafting in plain English, that's really good proof to me that um, it's not one of those dumbing down situations. Now, one of the most common things people say is that it's simplistic, um, but there's a massive difference between simple and simplistic. So, you know, if something simple, it's it's um, easy to understand, it's not difficult, it doesn't have unnecessary entangling words and it's clear and uncomplicated. Whereas something simplistic, it, that's a much more negative word and, it, and that can be, uh, the Cambridge Dictionary defines that as characterised by extreme and often misleading simplicity, making something complicated seem simple by ignoring important parts and that's not what plain English is about. You can be very technical uh, in, in your subject matter, but you can still write in a direct, clear style um, without overly uh, confusing the reader. Okay, so I, I can understand how plain English should be um, very useful in a sort of a functional sense in getting a message from the writer to the, to the reader. But is it, is it sort of taking the fun out of writing for reading and for writer and reader? I mean, because you know, in plain English, you're, uh, are you or are you not using you know, rich, powerful words that are uh, – is it just take the – strip the fun out of it? Is it just workaday mm. writing, plain English? I think plain English is really well suited, certainly, to the context of business and business communication and everyday, uh, you know, writing to directly to your to your consumers, for example, like a lot of marketing and web content is based on plain English. Um, you're right. I, I love 
I love beautiful, rich words. I'm a, I'm a fan of Shakespeare. I love sonnets. I love poetry. I love learning new words that I've never seen before. Um, one author who does that to you is C.S. Lewis. If you ever read C.S. Lewis's nonfiction, you need a dictionary beside you because his language is so rich. And, yes, that could be frustrating for a lot of people, but I think it's absolutely wonderful because I, I just find words and language so fascinating. But I think what it is that I would hate to think that we're going to lose the richness and the depth of our language because I, I, I don't think we should. Um, so certainly we need to cling to those to those beautiful those beautiful richer levels of our language uh, and use them in creative ways but I think for the everyday person if they want to know you know about their latest power bill then of course you know the clearer and the more direct uh, writing is better but yes certainly um, I must say I'm a bit of a word nerd so I do actually <laughs> buy books I buy books about obscure archaic words and and I and I absolutely love them but but my analogy is that language is um, you know the type of language you use is, it's like a toolbox you you choose the tool that suits the purpose so if you want to be rich and evocative by all means use those wonderful words uh, and obviously poetry is the first thing that springs to mind but if you want to be clear and direct well then you'll choose a different writing tool and that's the way I, I see it so it sounds like from what you just said tell me if this is right or not that plain English is at one end of the spectrum and creative writing is at the other end of the spectrum well, you know what? I wouldn't even say that. Um, some of my favourite poems are actually really minimal in the way they are written, but they're so deeply evocative because of just the way they've been phrased or the choice of the words. So a very, very rich word, but in written in a simple way. So I, I, I think that even creative writers are always looking to uh, eliminate excess wordiness and to bring depth and richness to their writing and power through through sometimes you can just you know like a long a long wordy descriptive sentence can be a very weak sentence whereas a few well chosen powerful words can can have a much greater impact so even in the creative world uh, there are there are writers who who advocate a spare style of writing Yes, you've actually got me thinking about um, Faulty Towers, a script for Faulty Towers, which um, John Cleese and his colleagues there seem to have written that script with eliminating all sorts of unnecessary words, but so punchy and so clear. Um, so I'm wondering whether we're talking about plain English, uh, and we started talking about it just in writing, but uh, it strikes me that plain English is can be useful for all sorts of things like movie scripts, doing writing a speech, writing web pages, all of that yeah. stuff. Uh, am I am I on the mark there? Oh, for sure. Mm. I, I mean, it's a clear communication style, and we we think of it as writing only, but of course, it's speech as well. And I think this is why Winston Churchill's uh, speeches were so so well received. He he was right. He would speak in that style that just. That just went straight to the to the listener, and it was everyday language, but it it went to their hearts immediately because he he was just speaking in a way that they understood and related to straight away. Um, I mean, they were powerful speeches, and yet they were quite simple. Yes, I think um, Ronald, ex president, former president Ronald Reagan in the USA, I think they called him the great communicator, and he I think he he was a little in that Churchillian mould of using mm -hmm. using simple but quite powerful words and. 
and short sentences too, I think. You know? That is true. Of mm. course, Martin Luther King springs to mind course, as well. Of course, yes, um, of course. But, but not yeah. all of us have that wonderful no. ability. <laughs> no. But, um, yes, I have done a bit of speech writing in my role in communications and, and yeah, it's the same thing. And, and also training. I mean, for me, um, it, it's all about speaking clearly because, uh, well, working in a library, you, you deal with people from every walk of life. And I, I got tangled up uh, with some um, with training um seniors uh computer classes for 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 older people who had never even sat in front of a computer or had never even used a mouse so this was a fascinating experience for me and i i really grew to love it because uh, i realized that i had this ability to speak in a way that they could understand and my goal for them was i could see the fear in them you know and, and they were so brave and they would come they would come to the library and they'd be absolutely terrified of these computers and i thought look I don't need to be an IT specialist. I need to just explain this to them in a way that they can understand. And so I didn't use any jargon. I just I just tried to put them at ease and just just slow it right down. Just slowed it right down and 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 to the extent that, you know, they didn't even really understand that they needed to press the enter key on the keyboard after after entering a search term in Google. So it's a matter of reminding them every time. So you know, I say, okay, now type the word rose into the search box and then press enter. And I think for most of us, you would not even think that you would have to tell someone to press the enter key. Mm, so that's a nice example of using uh, plain English in a, in a, uh, a teaching role. Uh, yes. Not, not in a writing, not, not, in, not in writing, but in, in speaking. Do you have any other examples you could just um, uh, give us on uh, sort of before and after plain English or is that too hard to do without um, us looking at the, uh, some written words or something? I've got some examples here of some good befores and afters. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so like for, for just getting back to the computer one, I, I think it's absolutely crucial that um, that they that, that you use everyday terms for things like that. So I would, I would explain uh, the... Um, Google, Google, the concept of a search engine is, is a bit of jargon that they couldn't understand. So I just said, look, it's like a dog that goes and fetches. So so if you type your word into the box, you're saying, okay, Google, go and fetch me some information about this word. And they understood that. So, so you know, like I just equated. Mm, that's they nice, could like yes. Mm. So it was a go fetch. Mm. And then they went, oh, and you could see the penny drop. And that that's for me and I think for anyone who trains, it's just the most wonderful feeling when you see them smile and you see the fear going away and you see them walk away feeling really excited to come back next week and try again. So, yeah, I, I, I just love, I must say I love training. <laughs> <laughs> I think because of this plain English thing, I think it's because I, I, I must have a knack for it um, and, and it's just something that people respond well to. But but. When it comes to some some befores and afters, let me just have a look here. I do have some examples. Okay, here's one about learning. Okay, so it, with plain English, it's about it's about removing pompous words and and excessive words and and words that are really not not helping and just just cutting to the chase, so to speak. So here's here's a before sentence. High quality learning environments are a necessary precondition for facilitation and enhancement of a child's ongoing learning process. My God, what's that mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the after is 
children need good schools if they are to learn properly. Oh, wow. Yes. So, that, mm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm. And it's really quite quite a contrast, isn't mm. it? And when you go back to the first one, you go, oh, yeah, now I can sort of see that. But, mm. yeah. Mm. Okay, so would you like another one? Yes, please. Okay, and here's a really common one that we have all seen. Here's the before. If there are any points on which you require explanation or further particulars, we shall be glad to furnish such additional details as may be required by telephone. <laughs> oh, so, what, what's the after? What's, what's the plain English version of that? <laughs> if, you, if you have any questions, please phone. <laughs> so nice, so clean and, and, and way fewer. It, my mm. take is it's simpler words, it's far fewer words. It is. It is. Mm. And, and look, look, one of the things is, you know, keep your sentences uh, shorter. Now, I don't like making such a prescriptive statement because really uh, a well-written sentence can be longer. And I think you, you do need variety of sentence length and that, that's a readability issue, which is also a really interesting area. So what they, what they do suggest is 15 to 20 words per sentence on average, which means that you can have a, a really nice short sentence and you can you can contrast that with a slightly longer one, but variety is usually the the desired goal, so that when you're reading, there's a lovely rhythm and there's a bit of a flow. So it mm. almost becomes an artistic thing, doesn't it? Really. Yeah, so. yeah. And I guess from what you've been saying, you, you don't want to fill your your longer sentences with all these sort of fancy words. So. Yeah. That's exactly right. I've got a lovely quote here from from a lawyer. This is this is from the, the the Law Reform Commission of Victoria, and this is an article that was written in the 1980s. But I really like this. And he says, um, "Plain English is a full version of the language using patterns of normal adult English. It is not a type of basic English or baby talk. While documents that are con converted to plain English may be described as simplified, they are simplified in the sense of being rid of entangled." convoluted language and I think that's the point mm. wow well I, you know, I'm a convert <laughs> <laughs> uh, for our listeners are there some tips you can give in this um, uh, podcast that they, they could maybe start thinking about now uh, to go and help them um, write uh, and speak and communicate in plain English so their message is what they're intending gets across to their audience sure. Okay, well, look, there are there are some habits that we all have um, where we, we tend to use phrases when one word would do, and that, that's a surefire way to have too too much wordiness. Oh, just on on an aside, I, I have to I have to say to you that one of the things I think of every time when we're talking about too many words in a sentence is the the movie. And oh God, this is going back a bit. This is probably the nineteen eighties. Uh, Amadeus, do you remember the yes, movie about yes. Mm -hmm. You know, the one and only part of that movie that I still remember so very clearly is is when Mozart is speaking with the emperor after the after his big performance. And the emperor comes to him and he says, you know, did it please you? And the emperor goes, oh, yes, yes, it was it was wonderful. But um, and he hesitates and he's trying to say something and he and <laughs> And he says, well, I think there were just, um, how shall I say it? I think there were just um, too many notes. <laughs> and, and 
And poor Amadeus is so offended. And he goes, but, but there were neither too many or too, nor too few. You know, there were exactly the right amount of notes. And, and it's funny, you know, like that springs to mind every time I think of sentences that have too many words. And it's the same concept, you know, like we want neither too many nor too few. We want exactly the right amount of words. So um, on that note, like we, some phrases, here's, here's something that we all do. Uh, we are going to conduct an analysis but really, we could just be analysing, couldn't we? Mm. So, um, mm. so we present a report or we just report. Mm. We, do, we do an assessment, but really we could just say we assess. So um, I think that we get into this habit of and another one is conducting a review when really you could just say, well, we, we will review that instead of we will conduct a review. Yes. So. These are ways that you have all these excess words in sentences that you really don't need. And and we, we do them automatically without really thinking about it. So that's why it does take a bit of effort to break some of those habits. The other big one is using active voice rather than passive voice. Now, it sounds a bit, bit like a pompous grammatical term, but um, it's all about the verbs. Now, think of a verb as a, as a, as a bulldozer. Verbs have the power. And uh, when we when we use passive voice, we really dilute the power of our sentences. So, what, what's passive? And, what's passive voice? What's that? Mm, you, so, I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> I am going to. Yeah, um, passive voice uh, is where we we dilute it by saying, "Oh, the ball was kicked over the fence," instead of saying, "He kicked the ball over the fence." So. And you've got the ball is being kicked by somebody. It's a lot weaker than saying John kicked the ball over the fence. Yes. And so it's a lot more active. So, uh, you know, we do it all the time. Uh, your application has been received by our office as opposed to we have received your application. Mm. So, so it, it, it's uh, passive voice can really create distance and it can sound a little bit evasive at times. And it can look, it's not always bad. Sometimes you need passive voice to protect, to be tactful, for example. Um, so, you, if, you, if you're trying to protect somebody's reputation or not offend, you might say, oh, well, look, you know, uh, it wasn't that task wasn't completed on time. And that's a nice way of not putting someone, you know, putting blame on someone. Instead of, sa instead of saying, you didn't do this on time. Exactly. Yeah, or, right. or explaining it to somebody else. Mm, you know, say, mm. I'm protecting my colleague. I might say to, to my manager, so oh, I'm sorry, you know, uh, we, it wasn't able to be done or something like that without saying, well, John didn't do it. Mm, so mm. Um, it can be a nice thing to use at times. And you can, you, you do need passive voice sometimes, but we tend to use it too much. So, um, I think that it, it really dis takes the power, it drains the power out of our sentences. So um, it, it's something that people often aren't aware of, but it, once you once you do start thinking about it now, I'll tell you who's really good at it, children. If, if the boys have been playing with the ball inside while mum was at work and something got broken, they're not going to say, oh, I kicked the ball and I broke your vase, mum. They're going to say, oh, the vase got broken Mm, that's that's mm, passive voice because you're mm. not saying by whom, by whom, who broke the vase. So it's a really evasive way to speak. So uh, politicians are the other people who do it very well. Um, and I think, you know, the famous phrase, mistakes were made, uh -huh. is 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is there is there a, a, a another rule in in everything you're saying that it sounds to me like to get away from the passive voice you're putting in a real um, person, a real subject. Like I I broke the vase, he kicked the ball. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the doer of the action. Mm -hmm. So um, hang on. I'm just having a scroll through here to find another example. Yeah. So the subject is the person doing the action. Mm -hmm. The verb is the action and and the object is usually the thing that is acted upon. So Peter painted the house. That's an active sentence because we have the subject doing the action. Peter painted Mm -hmm. and the house is the object. But in a passive version of that, it would be the house was painted by Peter. Mm. Um, so the first yeah. one is 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 it, it's more pleasing. It's direct. It's simple, mm-hmm. and yes. and um, it gives me a sense of some action. Yes. Mm. Yes, mm. and and there's a very funny little cartoon, and I, I really love this uh, about passive voice. There's a, there's a little chicken staring at his computer screen, and and the computer's saying an error has occurred. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying this in the passive voice to avoid taking any personal responsibility. <laughs> so, so it's a great way to avoid responsibility because you're not saying who did the action usually mm-hmm. when you're speaking in passive voice. So, yeah. Wow. Gee, there's so much to this plain English I, I'm get, gathering. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier on there's some apps and things out there that can help a, uh, a plain English aspirant to get better at uh, being plainer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, can, you, can you mention any of those for, for well, our audience? I- I must say I, I haven't done a big investigation, but I, I do find the Grammarly app is quite useful and it's something that people can download and use with, with their word processing uh, programs. And the other one is the Hemingway editor because the Hemingway tends to, to pick you up on your passive voice usage. So that, that's a really good way. If you're, if, you're, if you're struggling with the passive voice, uh, it's a really good way to, to get on top of it by using something like that. Having said that, you know, these <clears throat> computerised programs are only – so useful. I think you still sometimes quite often I override the Grammarly correction because they are robotic and they don't always understand the context. So it's not really a replacement for the human brain because we know that, but they're very, very helpful. But but we know what we're trying to say or we know the context of of, of our writing. Uh, sometimes Grammarly will We'll, we'll, we'll try to correct something that I that I don't want corrected. So you still have to apply your own knowledge. Right. That's why it's right. you really right. get a good handle on it yourself as well. And is Hemingway the one where you, you paste your your um, word document into it and it tells you whether it, uh, it's easy to read or not? Is that the, is that Hemingway? Yes. I haven't used it a lot, but yes, and it colour codes things. So I think adverbs are another one that most uh, clear writers like to stay away from, and even this, this applies to novelists as well, adverbs meaning quickly, quietly, or, you know, things that say how something was done. Mm. Sometimes adverbs can, can really um, get in the way of a clear sentence too. So I think Hem- Hemingway picks you up on your adverb usage, which is quite useful. Um, and uh, and certainly the passive voice, and, and by colour coding it, it makes it really quick and easy to see where the where the problems are. But um, I when I, when I present, I like to um, I like to use some examples of of street signs and and road signs and things like because they're just so incredibly funny. I'm sure we've all seen them, but I, I don't think it needs to be boring. So like I try to make my training classes quite quite fun because. 
there are just so many funny signs out there. And, <laughs> and, and, and if you understand, you know, like it, it can really, really give people a good laugh. I mean, there's actually a street sign I have seen on, on the internet that says, please try to walk without walking, for example. <laughs> like you look at it and you think, oh my gosh, who, who even painted that sign? How did that get through? Um, and then there's, there's another sign here that says, and this is ambiguity and this is another thing that crops up when you're writing. You've got to not make assumptions. Uh, you've got to try to eliminate that ambiguous meanings of, of what you're saying. There's this, this hilarious sign in a park that says, people are eating children in this area. And there's, no, there's no punctuation. So it looks like I think what they're saying is people are eating and there are children in this area, please leash your dog and clean up after them. So it's a very strange sign because it sounds like they're saying people are eating children in this area, please leash your dog and clean up after them. And I'm thinking, who's them? Is it the is it the children or the people? Because yes. there's only yes. leash your dog, singular, and clean up after them. Yes. So this, the whole sign is is incredibly confusing and 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 it's just so very funny. I just I just we all know what they're trying to say, but it was a massive fail. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've just re reminded me of something I've heard of, heard before about uh, when you've written something, it might it's probably a good idea to go and do a pronoun hunt, and and you often will find I've heard words like them that could be the kids or the dogs, mm. and uh, so it's worthwhile you know, rewriting it. So it makes, besides the punctuation issues in that one, you just, that example you just gave, there's that uh, ambiguity about what's, what's them mean? What the, what's the problem? Oh, mean? it is. Yeah. It's such a funny sign. And oh, there is another one. I, like it. I, I don't think people realise how important a, a punctuation mark can be. Full stops can actually save lives, Peter. Did you know that? No, I did not. Tell me. Let how. me tell you how. Here's one of my favourite signs, and it says, Hunters. Please use caution when hunting pedestrians using walk trails. <laughs> and I'm presuming it should have been a full stop after the word hunting. Hunters, please use caution when hunting. And then a new sentence, pedestrians using walk trails. So it just looks like they're saying, well, please use caution when you're hunting pedestrians on the walking trails. <laughs> so oh, one full stop could have saved those pedestrians. It's lovely. very tragic. So, so, so lovely. <laughs> Look, there's a lot, there's obviously a lot in this whole plain English thing. Um, we could talk about this for a long time, but I think we've probably come to the end of our episode mm. here. Um, yes. Perhaps uh, functional literacy um, is something we could talk about another another time because I believe we've got some pretty low levels of functional literacy in in many countries, including in Australia. Um, but before we wrap up, Leonie, can you just tell me how people could contact you if they wanted to learn more about um, plain English or if they wanted to find out how to get on your plain English courses? Okay. Yes. Well, they can they can email me uh, at the following email address, which is Leonie L E O N I E at Plain English Matters, and that's all one word without any punctuation. So Leonie at Plain English Matters dot com dot au, or they can phone on o four one triple seven o three o nine. And that's in a, that's an Australian number. That's so, right. So if someone from outside Australia wanted to phone you on that number, they need to put plus six one in six, front of it. Yeah, plus six one, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, look, thank you, Leonie. Thank you so much. Uh, fascinating subject. And uh, let's uh, see if we can talk some more about this in another episode. 
I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Peter. Right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFastHQ.com, delivering the world's best evidence-based solutions for learning since 1999. Head over to our website to read a transcript of the podcast. Go to LearnFastHQ.com, that's L-E-A-R-N-F-A-S-T-H-Q.com, and click on Podcast in the menu at the top of the page. And don't forget to subscribe in your listening app so you don't miss hearing any of the interesting discussions about learning, teaching and education. Music